It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is Friday, June 9th. Turns out it's my brother's birthday. He's 48. Happy birthday. 48, going on 28, I'll tell you. But we have a great show for you today. We almost didn't have a great show for you today because my guest was stuck in traffic and you would have just had to listen to me for the hour. But she's here, so it's great. This is our annual show where we invite the folks from the EEOC's federal sector programs to talk about the EEOC's outreach and training that they provide to the federal community. And I'm delighted to have in studio with me, very delighted, Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC's Office of Federal Operations. Patricia is the Assistant Director of Federal Sector Programs Training and Outreach Division, and she is here to tell us about the EEOC's executive leadership training that is upcoming in Gettysburg, PA on August 21st through the 23rd. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And shame on you for blaming Uber. I had to blame someone. <laughs> DC traffic. Okay. I should also let our listeners know that a little later in the show, we'll be joined by one of our plenary speakers for the conference, former Navy SEAL, renowned speaker and author Chris Fussell, who'll be talking about his latest book, One Mission, How Leaders Build a team of teams, which will also be the focus of his keynote speech for the for the conference. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's ltcfeds.com. So, Patricia, I know we are going to be talking mostly about the conference um, upcoming in Gettysburg, but I always think this is a great opportunity to educate some of our listeners about the important mission of the EEOC. So let's start with having you introduce the EEOC and specifically where you work in the Office of Federal Operations. Okay, thank you. So the EEOC is a bipartisan commission that is comprised of five presidentially appointed members. Currently, we have an acting chair right now. Our acting chair is Victoria Lipnick. And we have three commissioners, Commissioner Felbloom, Commissioner Yang, and Commissioner Burroughs. One of our commissioner slots currently remains vacant. And surprisingly enough, our general counsel slot is still vacant. So we are hoping for an appointment relatively soon. Who needs more lawyers? The world, lawyers <laughs> make the world a better place. Yeah, so... The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, we're responsible for eradicating discrimination in the workplace. And tell us about you know the, the structure of it. You know, I know we're here, your office services, um, the, the federal sector, but um, just a little bit about, you know, organizationally, you know, how they exist um, throughout okay. the country. So the commission is dual-headed. 
as I said, we handle complaints of discrimination on the private sector side as well as the federal sector side. On the private sector side, the EEOC has the authority to investigate charges of discrimination against employers. And our role is to investigate and to fairly and accurately assess the allegations in the charge. And then we issue a finding. And the EEOC, we may bring a lawsuit, but that is truly at the discretion of the commission. And there are several factors that come into play, whether we'll actually decide to bring a lawsuit against an employer. We've recently had two pretty big settlements that we have highlighted on our website. We had one settlement for $1.6 million, which was pretty substantial. And it had to do with retaliation. And we had another settlement for $1.9 million, and it was a race-based settlement. Does the, on the private sector side of it, does the, do the field divisions, you know, are they primarily investigating? Are they looking for, you know, systematic, you know, discrimination, pattern of discriminations? Like you hear, you know, right. so-and-so company, I'm not going to call any company out, you know, does have a pattern of, you know, treating women disparately, you know, or treating African-Americans disparately. So there are several ways a case will come before the commission. We take a lot of our charging parties will come to the commission and it's during our intake process and they'll come before us and they'll give us their allegations. And our field offices are comprised of our investigators who will actually investigate the allegations as well as our field attorneys. And our field attorneys are responsible for making the legal determination whether it is actually something that the commission will decide to go forward with. But they're not, they're, they'll investigate individual complaints. They're not mm -hmm. just looking at class complaints, like a class of people. You know, they'll, you know, if you're just an individual person who feels you've been discriminated against, you can go as an individual to the EOC. Right. You can go as an individual. And again, we'll also look at class issues. Many of our settlements involve large classes and the cases that we end up taking to trial. So it's not just, it's both. It's individuals and class cases that we see across the board. So that's the private sector. Tell us a little bit about the structure for the federal sector. Well, the federal sector has a, we have several different divisions. We're responsible for providing agencies with oversight and helping agencies develop their model, what we call their model EEO program to ensure that discrimination does not occur. So that's our proactive prevention side of the house. We also handle enforcement and we have an appellate review program division. So if individuals believe they're being discriminated against in the workplace, the process starts within their own agency. Their own agency will investigate the claim and it will go through a process. They'll either end up issuing a final agency decision at the completion of the investigation or the person may end up going before the EEOC administrative judge. It's at that time that the EEOC actually becomes involved in the process if we're investigating a matter and then it moves before the administrative judge. So the administrative judge will issue a decision and then if the person chooses to appeal it or the agency chooses to appeal the decision, it ends up in the Office of Federal Operations within our Appellate Review Program Division. 
So we should point out to our listeners, so the internal process at the agency level, because people you know, think like, oh, the agency is going to investigate itself. How's that going to be independent? Um, it actually starts before that you know, with EEO counseling, as you know, where they right. advise the complainant of what their rights are, and they look to see if they can resolve the complaint. They offer alternate dispute resolution, which I'm a huge fan of. You know, because the biggest difference between complaints in the private sector and the federal sector is the employee who's suing you in the federal sector is usually still your employee. Exactly. So that's disruptive to the work environment. So if you can get it resolved, you get it resolved. But as far as the investigation side of it, most agencies typically hire contract investigators um, that they're hiring from the outside, you know, to come in to do it. So there is that sort of independent, you know, fact-finding component that's there. Right. And it's also the... EO offices have an obligation to be neutral, and we emphasize that as well. So even if an EO office is not using a contractor, we emphasize it is a neutral process. I mean, you and I know it's it's neutral. I mean, it is, by and large. They really are, because we know the people that that work in them. But it's a perception, you know, somebody outside looking in. You know, I get that all the time. I'm not going to file a complaint here because all these people, you know, work for this person or that person. I try to emphasize that at least the investigation is done, you know, outside, and then you eventually get a hearing before right. an EEOC judge, or you can go to go to federal court. Um, so, tell us a little bit about um, kind of what you do, the the training and outreach. Well, as assistant director of training and outreach, I am dual hatted handling training and outreach. So, our outreach is our no cost initiative. We go out to federal agencies across the country and provide them with education on all of the different laws we enforce. And we also provide technical assistance as well. So within our agency oversight division, we have a staff of equal employment specialists and those equal employment specialists will work with the agency and many times will end up receiving referrals uh, telling us, okay, go out and provide a little bit of outreach and education to a particular agency. So. My division is responsible not only for meeting with agencies individually, but also we find ways to leverage technology to provide free outreach and training to organizations. One of the initiatives we started this year is six times this year we offered a free 90-minute training via iMeeting. So it was an opportunity for federal stakeholders without regard to where you are in the country to actually dial in and get information about some of our key initiatives within the commission that we are providing training on. Is this core training? It's not just updates from the EEOC. This is core training that you would provide. Right. So our most recent one dealt with our newest regulation, 501. 501, everybody's Um, talking about. Yes, (laughs) If we have time later, we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that, which is the Rehabilitation Act, you know, which most people in private sector identify with the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, and this is, you know, the commission's way to kind of codify everything that was out there yes. and put it all in one place, right? right. That's what you're and trying it's to for do. Federal agencies, it only applies to federal agencies. So, right. yeah, that was our most recent. And then with our fee based training, we send out seasoned trainers that will actually customize training for agencies depending on whatever the workplace issue is. And I have to just put in a plug in for our Excel conference that is coming up, Tony. At the end of June, we have our Excel conference. It it will be held in Chicago, Illinois, and it is the last week of June. And I have to say our keynote speaker is actually the head of the AARP, 
No, yeah. I just got my card. You, well, well, I got well, a card. I got an invitation, <laughs> invitation to join, which I quickly put in the garbage. You so, said you quickly put it in I the did. garbage. I did. So you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC, and we've been talking about the important mission and services of the EEOC. Uh, we need to stop here for a word from our sponsor when we return We'll start talking about the exciting executive leadership training conference that they have, which is coming up this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Bernetti, and I'm talking with Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC's Office of Federal Operations. And we are talking about, we're going to be talking about the EEOC's training conference for executive leaders in the EEO and HR community. Before we um, took a break, you were talking about your Excel conference, which is going to be in last week in June in Chicago. Um, and I know you wanted to provide some additional information on that. Right. The Excel conference is from June 27th through the 29th. And our audience for that conference happens to be federal EEO professionals, as well as agency reps and private sector employers as well. So the conference covers both federal and private employers. And it is an excellent technical assistance conference that brings all EEO practitioners up to date on the laws that we enforce. So and that's a great segue into our major topic for today, which is the other conference we want to talk about, the EEOC's uh, Executive Leadership Development Training. You know, we go, we start, stop calling things conferences these days, but right. it really is an executive leadership training. So unlike Excel, which most people know about in the EEO community, which covers a lot of substantive sort of subject matter stuff for EEO professionals, you know, the law different things like that, what's going on in Section 501, you know, other regulatory requirements. Uh, this conference is more designed for the the managers and the executives that run the EEO programs, diversity and inclusion programs, HR folks um, are also invited. You know, anybody who has any management responsibility over the program, you know, and the kind of the idea behind the conference is, you know, as these folks, you know, grow up as subject matter experts in their agencies and then become leaders, you know, what kind of real management training, you know, did they get? Um, some, maybe they get some, you know, some get more than others. And, you know, then we thought kind of putting them all in one location and giving them the same kind of training, you know, where they can collaborate, you know, and talk back and forth as to, you know, the things that they're, the challenges that they're facing. Yes, this is an opportunity for leaders to get together and, work on developing their leadership skills. I'm excited about this year's theme, Leadership Boot Camp Training to Win. So this will take place in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And it's an opportunity for leaders to actually get away from the office, be outside of the D.C. area, come together and focus in on developing an action plan to lead when they get back into the office. We are focusing in on 
not only just leadership skills, the technical aspects of leading, managing effectively, developing employees, fiscal responsibility, but we're all, we're also focusing in on the leader as in a bit as the individual. Mm-hmm. Who do you need to become in order to become a successful leader? One of our sessions deal with overall wellness for leaders to think about who am I when I step into the workplace and how am I fit and prepared to lead? So it's not just looking at the leadership skills. It also looks at the person, the individual during this training initiative. So I'm excited about it. I think it'll be excellent. And leading off with the theme, boot camp training to win. Um, so one of the signature pieces of the training, you know, we should mention we're in Gettysburg. So on day two, um, we're going to have about six hours of actual hands-on training in on the actual battlefield um, with the Gettysburg Foundation. We do field training called In the Footsteps of Leaders, where the the participants get to kind of explore the battle through the eyes of the Gettysburg commander and kind of, you know, learn things about teamwork, you know, how to be agile, adapt, and kind of, you know, see, you know, translate sort of what they've learned, you know, throughout that battle and how they applied it there and how you could take that back you know, back home and apply it to your organization. You know, I think that's something that's just really unique to any other kind of, you know, it's, you know, experience training. I would agree. I would agree. And I'm looking forward to that. I've never done an experiential leadership training session and I've heard great things about it. So for those of you who have not had the opportunity, definitely join us in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for that experience. And just a little bit more on that. We'll have a handful of you know, sort of battlefield instructor guides out there. So there'll be small groups kind of going through, you know, the battle, you know, with their individual instructors. So it'll be very interactive where they where they can answer answer questions. Um, let me just get out some particulars um, for the conference. Again, it's August 21st through the 23rd in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, We've got space up there at the Wyndham Hotel in Gettysburg. The cost is $950 for the three days. Um, For more information, you can go to eeocleadershipconference.com, eeocleadershipconference.com, or you can give us a call at 202-331-331. Zero 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 four. Um, so let's jump in just a little bit more into kind of the how the day is gonna how the days are gonna play out. So day one, um, we're gonna have kind of a meet and greet, but we're gonna start with a panel discussion, right? right? We're gonna have a, you know a high level executive panel discussion where they're essentially gonna identify. Because the because the challenges and obstacles that face EEO leaders are, are quite frankly different than other offices often, right. you know, than the office of management. If you're in law enforcement, office of enforcement. Um, so we want to kind of pull everybody together and have them, you know, identify, you know, what what these challenges are, and then you know, hopefully they can take what those challenges are and, and what they learn throughout the next two days, try to apply them. Right, with that initial leadership challenge in addition to identifying coming up with a plan and then thinking about how are you going to execute it because execution it's one thing to have the vision and to identify what the issue is the execution part we're going to focus in on during the entire conference how do you go about obtaining results as leaders 
And I, I personally think that's that's the most important thing. I right. mean, anybody Result. anybody can identify the problem. I'm sure you got a lot of <laughs> exactly. those people in your office, right? Yeah. <laughs> you identify the problem. You know, you can come up with a plan, great plans. This is what we're going to do to do it. But if you never implement it, you know, yes. it never. Yeah, it, it just never it never gets done. Um, so then, you know, day two, we're going to start off with our our keynote, um, which who we'll have on a little bit, hopefully in about ten minutes here with us, Chris Fossil, former Navy SEAL, um, talk a little bit about his book, One Mission: How Leaders Build a Team of Teams, and then, you know, we'll take that discussion, you know, into the battlefield discussion, which is going right. to be a lot, you know, a lot about teamwork. So that's that's exciting. The some of the other courses um, that we wanted to highlight. Um, tell us about the social media course. Why did, why did you guys include that? The social media course is a course that gets leaders thinking about their personal leadership brand and how are they branding themselves as a leader within their organization and even outside their organization. So we all know social media is important, whether it's your Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, so how are you as a leader using and leveraging social media for your own personal leadership brand? So the speaker we have is going to focus on how to effectively use LinkedIn. Uh, what does your leadership image say about you on social media? Do you have a presence on social media? And how do you go about becoming a thought leader or elevating your leadership game through social media? What are some of the tools that you could use? Well, let me ask you about that as a manager in the federal government, because, you know, I'm, I'm not. But, um, you know, do you feel that social media, you know, I understand how it identifies you. But do you think, you, you know, offices can, you know, embrace some of this new technology to, you know, communicate better, you know, with its employees or bring people together through some of these social media platforms? Social media is an excellent way to reach not only employees, but our external folks out there who are using social media as a mode of communication, especially when you think about getting out large volumes of information and really leveraging social media to reach external stakeholders who may not be familiar with your program. So persons may not know to go to EEOC.gov, but they may come across something on Facebook. They may see something on a YouTube channel that would get their attention. But for leaders, as we think about what's your brand, what's your image, that goes to the personal aspect of leadership. So what are you putting out there as a leader? Because well, the other thing I think is, is, is really important is, you know, and, and I've experienced this is, as you know, I, you've had to pull me into the social media world, kicking <laughs> and screaming. OK, but as I have more and more millennials working for me, right. you know, you find that somehow that's the way, you know, to communicate with them. Like, so I've got my whole team on a on a group on a group text. You know, right? and that's how right. I communicate them on snow group days, me. for example. Right. It's like, <laughs> yep. you know, we're closing the yeah. office today, for example. Um, you know, so, you know, as you have more and more millennials in the office, that's what they're using. It's, it's a way for you to communicate with them. And also federal agencies are creating their own LinkedIn pages. Many federal agencies have their own Facebook page. A lot of leadership recruitment happens through LinkedIn. And we're going to talk a lot about that, how we can leverage social media, not only to push our mission and our agency's mission, 
But then also thinking about yourself as that individual leader. What's your brand saying about you? Mm -hmm. And I know you've already talked about it, but I just want to mention again, I'm excited that we have this wellness course because you can get so caught up, right? I got to get to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. And you you feel you get to a point where you never have time to take care of yourself. Right. Um, You know, and I think that's so important. This fit to lead segment, mind, body, spirit, is one that all leaders, if you haven't taken a wellness class once you've stepped into leadership, it's a must. I was reading an article recently and it talked about what are the top 10 things successful leaders do. And as I was reading through the first three, I thought to myself, oh, okay, I need to get on track. Waking up early in the morning, working out, and maintaining a routine schedule. Those were the top three that I saw. And it's critical mm-hmm. because you're only going to be as successful as your feeling and as your mental processes allow you to go when you step into the workplace. Well, and I think it's trying to keep that schedule as you're traveling or moving and right. things like that. Cause that's when people, you know, you've got to, you know, you got to be somewhere every other week. You got meetings. Exactly. I mean, you're a federal government. You have meetings about having a meeting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, right? And I'll tell you as assistant director of training and outreach, I spend a lot of time on the road and I'm constantly traveling and going. So it's easy to fall off when it comes to health initiatives. We have to stop here for our second break. When we come back, we'll be joined by one of our plenary speakers for the conference, former Navy SEAL, renowned speaker and author, Chris Fussell. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I've been talking with Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC Office of Federal Operations about the EEOC's training conference for executive leaders in the EEO and HR community that is coming up uh, later in August up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, at this time, I'm pleased to invite on the show one of our plenary speakers for the conference, uh, former Navy SEAL, Chris Fossil. Chris is currently a managing partner at the McChrystal Group, as in retired four-star General Stanley McChrystal, where he is also the leader of the group's Leadership Institute. Chris, good morning, and thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, good morning, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, especially on such short notice. Really appreciate it. No, happy to do it. Chris also has a new book out titled One Mission, How Leaders Build a Team of Teams, which will be the focus of his keynote speech for the conference. So, Chris, let me start by asking you, I'm sure, a question you get a lot. Um, you know, how did you come up with the idea to really translate your experience, you know, in combat and with the U.S. Special Forces to help corporate, and in our case, civilian governmental organizations? Yeah, it's, it's you know, like, like anything, you, 
these things happen through all sorts of different uh, experiences you have and influential people in your lives. But for, for me personally, you know, I, I joined the SEAL teams in the late 90s uh, to be part of a special unit. Right? You wanted to do sort of amazing missions on the ground. But over time, and then under General McChrystal's leadership, because he led these forces that I was involved in for about you know, five years straight, um, I started to really appreciate how much the global enterprise had shifted, the way the organization was being run, not just the, uh, the tactical level improvements that are happening on the ground, but also as a, as a corporate entity almost. McChrystal had really redesigned how we connected as this singular global enterprise. And just over the past five years or so since I've gotten out of the service, I've had the unique opportunity to partner with Sam McChrystal to write Team of Teams, which was a book that sort of gave a broad theory of the case around how the information age impacted us on the battlefield and how that's impacting other spaces. And then we saw the space for a follow-up to that based on a lot of questions we got from organizations that we've worked with that said, okay, now tell us how you implemented it. What were the, what were the practices that went into place? And so that's, that's a goal I set out for myself in writing one mission was to give perspective to leaders in any organization on how you can also implement similar change. So let me have you just address one thing, which will show kind of how naive I am and probably how naive you know, a lot of people are. When you think of a Navy SEAL team, right, you think of, you know, it's a team of, you know, 12 guys. I don't know how big the group is. And you've got a mission, an objective you're going to go do. You know, you go execute it and you come back, you're the team. But there's probably a lot of other moving parts in there that you need to coordinate with, that you need other folks that are kind of, you know, collateral to what you're doing to really be right in with what you're doing as far as team is concerned. Well, it, it, that's true. Uh, but what you described is a, is a really perfect description of the special operations community that I, that I joined in the late 90s, which was you were very focused on being part of an elite small, small unit, you know, 16-person platoon. And this is true in, you know, many parts of the, of the military. And you would get these resources that you need, and you would go execute some mission. Well, what we found in the post-9-11 sort of global terrorism fight was that there were no individual problems. All the problems we faced were, were parts of a globally interconnected network of actors and ideas. And touching one of those problems caused the rest of the network to change. So operating as small teams in isolation was no longer a sufficient solution. The skills that those teams brought to the battlefield, obviously, were the critical component. But at a, at a global level, our leaders had to figure out how to interconnect all of these teams so that we could share information in real time, so that decision-making could be decentralized down to our level on the ground. And that's what we've seen in industry as well. Everyone is now facing some version of this problem where the traditional systems for top-down leadership are they're still critical in many ways, but they're insufficient to drive the speed and interconnectivity that organizations need to fight these sorts of dynamic networks. Right. I mean, it's really, it's all about teamwork. Every, I remember, I remember back um, when I was in the military before you, um, after the first Gulf War, you know, the biggest, you know, criticism as we came out of that is the, the branches couldn't work together. We had to divide the bases up, you know, we were at, you know, the Army, Air Force, Marines, um, you know, same thing after 9-11. You know, that was the big criticism as the different the law enforcement, 
you know, there wasn't enough information sharing and teamwork between the intelligence and the other law enforcement communities. That's right. And, you know, a lot of people will look back at, well, you know, taking 9-11 as a, as a you know, a large example. And if you read the 9-11 commission report, you know, all the information was there. We just couldn't connect the dots. Well, that's, that's, that's almost unfair to a lot of That's 2020 hindsight, people. too. <laughs> totally, right. And, of course, all the information's there. All the information's there every time. You know, information is, you know, pedestrian nowadays. You can get access to almost any data out there. We, we see that all the time in the news. The question is, do you have the systems in place as an organization to be able to get ahead of the meaning of all that data? So just blindly saying, well, the data's out there, that, that doesn't carry enough meaning anymore. How do you run the organization to be able to make best use of it at a pace that keeps up with this constantly changing environment we're now swirling in? So can you sort of give us an example, you know, of something, you know, that would happen, you know, you know, in your military life or on the battlefield and, you know, and how you translate that into it can really help, you know, the corporate or other, you know, other organizations? Sure. Yeah. I mean, imagine like an old mission idea like we were just talking about where there's a unit, they get assigned a target, they get on their helicopters, they go out, they, they execute a mission and they come back and they provide new intelligence into the machine, you know, and it goes up to the chain of the command. Uh, someone decides what mission will happen next a day later or two days later. And this is how it felt in the early days of the fight in Iraq. Another unit would say, uh, based on what we learned two days ago, now you go do this. And so it was this back and forth, back and forth sort of static thing. All of those missions were successful, but they were also time delayed behind the speed with which the network was changing. As we went to this decentralized model and these teams are interconnected and they can share information and they really understand one another as uh, different sorts of cultures, that team that's coming off that first objective could literally connect to a global network, share raw intelligence in real time, and that second team that might already be en route to a target could adjust and go to a go to a third target based on what another team might have learned just five minutes ago. So that level of speed is what enabled us to get ahead of this uh, sort of dynamic problem. And industry, we're seeing the same thing in lots of different spaces. So imagine something, you know, a, a traditional model uh, like a like a global supply chain that is now in a space where in a world that's just far more complex and fast moving. So you have a supply chain who's now shipping the spring products out from their manufacturers and their marketing team or their research team is able to realize, hey, that in the spring, the customers don't like, you know, hot pink anymore. They want orange. And so let's go back and rework it. Well, the supply chain is on this long time horizon. Now they've got to turn ships around and head back into their manufacturers, and that costs time, that costs money, that, that has real cost. And in today's environment, a, you know, a smaller brand might make it to the shelf before that larger, you know, huge global enterprise is able to get there. And so it's very similar. If you could align all those parts of the organization to compete with the speed that we see nowadays, you can, you can remain really large and stable but also move as quick as these agile players. So what kind of, you said something early on there that I found fascinating. I was just thinking about, you know, if the military can get over this, then, then any organization should. Um, people can sometimes get constricted within their own chain of command, um, right? And military obviously respects chain of command, law enforcement. 
um, components do. You know, in the, in the corporate or the civilian culture, you know, that we deal in, you know, there's a, you know, they always obviously respect the chain of command, but it's almost like a territorial chain of command. And it's really hard to break down those walls, you know, like this is, you know, this is my portfolio, that's your portfolio, you know, and, and, and I think this is, you know, kind of what I think you're getting at, you know, we're all in it, you know, for one mission here, you know, and it's kind of, you know, communicating that, you know, across the line. And I think it's important, obviously, you know, for leaders to be able to communicate that. No, I, I completely agree. And I think it even goes deeper than, um, you know, this is, this is my portfolio or this is my part of the, the organization. Those, that's sort of the start point. But one of the things we try to address in, in one mission is the, that sort of behavior can become very, very tribal. You know, I start to see it not, not just as, you know, this is my corner of the market, but more that, you know, my, my vertical or my team is fundamentally different and better than yours. Uh, we certainly felt that in, in the military, and, and you, you saw this as well in your own experience there, where, you know, being in the SEAL teams is a, for, for many years, a completely different culture, you know, a, a different tribal norms than being in the Ranger Regiment or being in, you know, Army Green Beret unit, et cetera. Uh, even though, theoretically, we're all on the same team, when you, when you look inside of those, they're radically different tribes, right? So what our leadership you know, starting with McChrystal and then it expanded out to a, to a broader team, what they started doing for us was having a, a much higher level conversation, which is where the whole one mission sort of title is generated from. They started to have a conversation about who we were as a collective culture and forcing us in those small tribes to say, I'm either going to stay comfortable and stay in my little tribal unit and act uh, according to those norms, or I'm going to listen to this, this larger concept that's being presented around changing our culture, becoming a relationship-based global enterprise, about trusting one another with new and raw information, about listening to others and respecting their perspective on the fight. And that's, that's culture change. That's not military direction. That's not orders. That's you know, empathy with one another between these different verticals. And that higher level conversation is ultimately what brought us together and, and really what we espouse when we work with, with industry to say, as a senior leader, you have to find that new message. What is, the, what is that one mission focus that you're trying to drive into your organization? Right. You got, yeah, it starts at the top, I think, as you said several times. And just, you know, you got to be able to communicate, you know, that down and get everybody, you know, how do you get people to, you know, how do you get buy in for that, though? Yeah, I mean that's obviously that it's it sounds great on paper, right? <laughs> it got to implement, like, right? <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you do this? Um, so what works for us um, happened in a very organic way, but we and in the work we do now in industry, we take a very similar approach based on those lessons. And so what what our leadership started explaining to us, or their their theory on the case was, we don't we're not talking fast enough, we're not realigning ourselves as an organization fast enough. We're really good at the small team level. We know a SEAL platoon's effective. We know a Ranger platoon's effective. That's an agile, network-based, high-performance team. What if we could take that agility that exists at that ground level, which we know is in our DNA, and scale that up to the enterprise level? What would that take? And that's when the conversation started around, well, small teams, you know, they have a high level of trust. They communicate in a very constant and organic fashion, you know, all these things that we've felt when we're parts of small teams, they started to layer into the, at the global enterprise. And so 
fast forwarding several years as this grew out and the year I spent on uh, General McChrystal's staff when he was running this global task force, I was able to witness this sort of firsthand how it was running from the backside. We lived in these 24-hour cycles and the first 90 minutes of every 24 hours would start with a global video teleconference that synchronized. There would be thousands of people on the net having this conversation. Wow. And that felt like a small team walking out of a, a platoon hut or out of a you know, six-person roundtable as a startup. And then for the next 22 hours, you, were, you had a lot of autonomy. That was a period of what we call empowered execution, where these teams on the ground could then run very quickly through this complex network problem. And then 22 hours later, we would resynchronize. And we, we stayed on that pattern seven days a week for years on end. And it really did multiple things. It, it allowed that big organization to, to capture the feeling of a small team. And it provided a daily forum in which our senior leadership, to your point, could remind us every 24 hours, here's what really matters. We are trying to change our culture. We need to trust each other. We need to be grounded in relationships. They didn't get in there and say, here's how you should do these operations or get into tactical details. They knew they had the right folks on the ground doing that. They created this space that they wanted us all to be part of. That's great stuff. So um, this is the first time you and I have talked, but um, I'm not sure if you've, you've seen our theme. It's, it's leadership boot camp training to win. So we're going to have to hear at least some stories about your Naval SEAL tra- training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we go into that a little bit. And, and then we're also, you know, right the, after your um, after your keynote, we're doing, a, we're doing a day on the battlefield for Gettysburg, and you're certainly um, welcome to join us there where we're going to have an interactive um, training out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'd, I'd, I'd love to if we can make the time. It's a great spot. Um, I, yeah. I, co- I co-teach a, uh, a leadership seminar at the Jackson Institute up at, at Yale University with Stan McChrystal, and we take our classes out there as well. It's, it's an amazing place to talk about leadership. That's great. We're going to have to stop here for our third break to hear a word from our sponsor, Federal Long-Term Care Partners. And unfortunately, we'll also say goodbye to Chris. Chris, thanks so much for your time this morning, and we look forward to seeing you in Gettysburg. Thank you, Tony. Looking forward to it. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion about the EEOC's training conference for executive leaders in the federal sector EEO community. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. We're entering our last segment of the show. Um, that was a great discussion there with Chris Fussell. So we're certainly looking um, looking forward looking forward to him. Um, one one course for the conference that we didn't talk about um, that I, Patricia I wanted to just mention um, for our for our listeners. Um, it's it's a three day conference. First of all, we just have a panel discussion on the first day Monday. We got a meet and greet. You know, we got day two with the keynote from Chris Fussell. We got the, the battlefield, and then we got a full day of training on day three. But one of the courses in the afternoon, um, day three, um, 
has to do with communication, like strengthening your core communication for success. I think that's just a, a really, really important skill for not you know not only all leaders, you know, all executives, um, but particularly you know those in the in the EEO community. Um, you know, because people view those offices a little bit different throughout the agency. You know, you could be viewed as overhead or, you know, compliance or this, you know, you could be viewed negatively. And part of this is not only communicating internally, but is communicating externally to other stakeholders, you know, and, and you know, tell us a little bit about what you think about that. I definitely agree with that. Within the EEO office, within communities within the agencies. I always say that EEO professionals, what is the image of the EEO office? And a lot of that has to do with how effective the director, the leader is communicating the message because EEO is about proactive prevention and enforcement. And your EEO office really is designed or should be designed to be a place that not only employees, but managers should know that they can come and get information. It's a neutral place. It's designed to support organizations in creating model EO programs, leveraging an inclusive work environment. So how that is communicated is critical. Also, EO and diversity and inclusion leaders know influence is huge in being able to push forth a mission or to get your message across or your program and to get that level of buy-in, it's all directly tied to how effectively you're communicating with your leadership. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, what, what I like, what I think is there's a lot of, you know, incorrect perceptions out there of what's going on. And I'll just give you my own example. I was preparing to teach a course at, at an agency um, and I wanted to do some No Fear Act research and figure out, you know, because you always hear from my managers, you know, about all these frequent filers, you know, that okay. certain people are flooding the EO market, this or that. Um, and I did research on the No Fear Act data for this particular agency. And I was astonished okay. at how few frequent filers there really were. You know, when you look at the data and I would think like that's information. I mean, I think you should put out there. The perception of what's being thought. Well, yeah, it's not necessarily there. Right. And the data is a driver factor as well. So getting that information and then being able to communicate it to your leadership and across the lines. I think, too, a lot of times for EO leaders and within leadership is building those relationships with their other peers within their workforce and building those relationships with other departments so that you could have a model EEO program so that persons can come to the EEO office to talk about proactive prevention strategies and things that enhance the overall workforce. And then internally, I think it's very important too, just like what Chris was talking about, you know, you know, it needs to start top down, you know, and you need to, you know, whether it's weekly meetings, you know, what have you, you know, with individuals or the groups, you know, to be communicating your expectation, expectations, you know, the, the team, the mission, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And just, you know, having those lines of communication open, you know, I, I you know, think is great with, as opposed mm -hmm. to everybody in their own cubicle offices, right. not talking to one another. When he talked about the one mission and having that one mission, that one vision, I think about the work of the commission and our goal 
is to stop and eradicate workplace discrimination. So no matter who you are within the organization and your position and your role, everything we do ties back to that overall mission. So ensuring that it's communicated and how are we as leaders effectively communicating that? So whether it's a customer service question that you received and it came from another department that you don't handle, how are you managing that? How are you handling that? And a lot of it comes from how do you see your leadership managing and handling those situations? So are leaders communicating effectively across departments? And is it a top-down leadership structure? So I'm looking forward to hearing Chris talk about the whole decentralization, because I think that's important. We no longer can afford to be in an environment that works in silos. So communication is critical. How do you communicate across lines and how do you effectuate change? So we only have a few minutes left, but um, since you're here, I want to ask you, because it's all the rage right now about <laughs> Section 501, um, what's, I guess what's everybody, if you can summarize it, what's everybody so concerned about? Well, it is an affirmative action regulation, and it's actually a really good thing. It's designed to help agencies, federal agencies, because it only applies to federal agencies, strengthen and build their model EEO workforce as it relates to persons with disabilities. There are some specific hiring metrics that may have people concerned. Quotas? Well, yeah. <laughs> you, can say, you can say that, but it's positive. So we're looking at the federal government right now, and the federal government is approximately at 12% for persons with disabilities. And for individuals with targeted disabilities, a little shy of that 2% mark. So within this regulation, we actually have some initiatives that many federal agencies have already achieved. So it's 12% for persons with disabilities and 2% for individuals with targeted disabilities. And let me just clarify, when you read the regulations or look at the regulations, the 12% of persons with disabilities within the agency's workforce, we're asking agencies to look at persons who are at the GS 11 through SES, persons with disabilities, are they represented at the 12%? And also GS10 and below. In order to look at to me, to look at those metrics, I almost said measure those metrics. Mm -hmm. But look at those metrics. Are you looking at the existing workforce, or is it a hiring? Metric? We're looking at the existing workforce with those numbers for the twelve percent. So, and so the 2%. for people, for example, who don't disclose their disability, or agencies going out and asking, how does that work? Well, there are many ways the agency can capture the data that we have in place. There's the SF two fifty six form. And also agencies are able to collect data if they're using OPM. They're able to get the data through the OPM source. So we have different avenues. So if someone comes in and requests a reasonable accommodation, an agency is allowed to track that information. Of course, not the person's information, but that person would be counted as someone with a disability. They have the opportunity. If someone is hired under 30% disabled veteran, an organization is able to count that person. So we're also asking organizations, agencies to resurvey their workforce as well to gather that data. The 12% and 2% is for permanent employees within the agency. So we're not looking at temporary or seasonal persons. Should be and interesting. 
I, I mean, <laughs> it should be interesting. A lot of agencies are Aubrey, and we have an initiative with regards to hiring. Well, recruitment. I, mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it's all about. I mean, to me, it's always been diversity's always been about rec- recruitment. You know, getting out there and reaching those people and telling them you're wanted. You know, you say EOC is about eradicating discrimination. You know. I always think about, you know, it's about workplace inclusion. Right. You, you know, we want you know, all these people here. We want you to feel free to work here. And particularly with people with disabilities, it's like, hey, you're welcome here. You know, exactly. you know we, we want you here. You know, you're able to come here. Um, so we're almost out of time. Let me just go real quickly back to the conference and just give everybody the dates again. It's August 21st through the 23rd in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, we got the Wyndham up there in Gettysburg. The cost is 950 you can get more information and get enrolled at eeocleadershipconference.com. That's 202-331-0004. If you want to get more information, you can just give us a call. Again, that's eeocleadershipconference.com. And we have a real exciting lineup for you. You know, it's really yes, against the do. backdrop of the Gettysburg battlefield with that sort of hands-on interactive training um, which I really think is, you know, unlike any training you're going to get, you know, throughout the year. I know you have a lot of choices, uh, but this truly is something that's a little bit unique. So that's all the time we have today. Patricia, thanks so much for showing up. Thanks for coming having in me. <laughs> <laughs> to talk yes. about your leadership training conference. And we certainly want to thank former Navy SEAL Chris Fussell for calling into the show earlier to discuss his latest book, One Mission, How Leaders Build Teams of Teams. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend. Thank you.